Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. This week, we bring clarity to the chaos with programs exposing enemies inside today's church, addressing serious issues with the invisible war on the saints. And today, we welcome a brand new author to the program to discuss the scriptural universe model. These outstanding programs are here each day on the radio, on our mobile app, and on the daily podcast to inform and encourage your faith. Thank you for being here. Today, our host, Dr. Larry Spargimino, welcomes David Bassett to the program. They'll be discussing the brand new book, The Scriptural Universe Model, a Christian commentary on creation's construction. David Bassett is our guest for this show and the next. His focus is creation science. He is the author of The Scriptural Universe Model, a Christian commentary on creation's construction. David is currently serving the Lord full-time at the Creation Evidence Museum in Glen Rose, Texas, along with our dear friend, Dr. Carl Ball, who I understand from David is doing very, very well. Our guest has an MS degree in geology and has also done postgraduate work at the Institute for Creation Research, ICR. David has been a science and math teacher in several Christian schools, and I could spend the whole program talking about his teaching and ministry experience. It's very impressive. And from reading his book, I know that David Bassett has studied the Bible in the original languages of Scripture. So it is really our privilege and honor to have David Bassett with us for these two shows. David, thank you so very much for being on our show. And thank you, Pastor Larry, for having me. I appreciate it. Anybody that would be hired by uh, Dr. Carl Baugh must be really good, because I know Dr. Baugh for many, many years. We've done some digging together, so I think you're in a very privileged position. What I'd like to do, if you could give our listening audience just a quickie summary of your book, and then we'll get into it in greater detail. Well, the Scriptural Universe Model is a comprehensive biblical overview of all the verses of creation, that deal with Genesis chapter 1, 1 through 10, the first three days of creation week. It's meant to be a a chronological commentary, basically pull Scripture together to have Scripture interpret itself. Mm. I'm not trying to force Scripture to say anything that it doesn't already say, but I'm trying to get, I guess, at a broad overview, but also look at some specifics, both biblically and scientifically. Yeah, you bring in a lot of other scriptures, the tabernacle from Exodus and so forth. I know it is a comprehensive, chronological, young earth creation model. It's amazing. So when you say young earth, how young is young? And tell us why we don't need millions and millions of years. According to scripture itself and definition of biblical creationist, a young earth would be somewhere between 6,000 years and 10,000 years of age. 10,000 years would be the absolute maximum based on the decay of the Earth's magnetic field. The Earth's magnetic field is a great geochronometer because it surrounds the entire planet. And the scientific evidence shows it's been decaying at half every 1,400 years. That's the half-life. There's only so much doubling back into the past you can go before the magnetic field is so strong that it would actually tear the planet apart. And that's Mm. about seven half-lives, or seven times 1,400 years. That 9,800 years, biblical creationists round off to 10,000. 
Right. Biblically, though, you can't really stretch the age of the earth and the age of the universe past 6,200 years. And since Scripture is the higher authority, we would have to say the earth is closer to 6,000 years young. That's tremendous. I see that in the Scripture. I've talked to Dr. Ball and several other uh, creationists, young earth creationists, and uh, this is what I see. And yet, why do so many people, even some Christians, you know, who believe in creation, they, they come up with millions and millions of years. Are they just really succumbing to the world and, you know, to the Paleozoic and the Cenozoic? Why the vast, large numbers that is usually given? My upbringing was in public school. And if you're exposed to public school curriculum, to higher education, secularism, and colleges and universities, you're going to be hearing about the millions and billions of years, which we call deep time, over and over and over again. And if you hear a lie often enough, loud enough, long (laughs) enough, then you tend to believe it. There are so many scientists with PhDs, and it looks like they've got a very impressive credentials. They seem to speak with authority. It's in the right. textbooks. It's in the media. It's basically everywhere and within society. And it's not just our country. It's around the world. And so it looks as though there is a lot of succumbing to just the peer pressure. Back in 2004, I had the privilege of hiking on Mount St. Helens. And at Mount St. Helens, There is a Young Earth Creation Evidences little group, a fine group, a very believing the Bible and so forth. And I was amazed just at looking what had happened from the eruption, I believe it was in May of 1980. The leader there was saying, you know, so many of these things are are said to have happened 20 million years ago. He said, "But but they happened in about two or three months. And it was so clear and so evident that there just seems to be, it's almost like some kind of a disease or a virus where we get these huge numbers. And actually, if you, you know, when I talk to people, I I tell them I believe in a young earth and right away they write me off. When I tell them about six to 10,000 years, they just shake their heads and they walk away. But I know just seeing what had happened so quickly on Mount St. Helens was amazing to me. Now, why is the young earth important, this, this view of the young earth? Why do so many good scientists hold to a young earth? A young earth is important because it basically confirms the biblical chronology. If you can't trust the Bible's history, then what makes us think we can trust anything else in the Bible? Jesus himself said in John chapter 3, if you can't believe me when I talk about earthly things, then, you know, what makes you think you're going to believe me when I talk about heavenly things? Things we can't see, things we can't confirm in the laboratory. So it's important to understand that the biblical chronology, based on event-to-event chronology in Scripture, or the genealogies and chronologies in Genesis 5 and Genesis 11, that's why some people consider the boring parts of Scripture. Those are, those are extremely important because they basically anchor the events of Scripture within right. the realm of recorded history. So the age of the earth is important for that reason. The reason they get these long ages is to basically, they have to make many unscientific assumptions with radiometric dating methods in order to make their worldview, their model of origins, look scientific. Right. Uh, they say they the uranium lead dating or potassium argon or carbon-14. Most people don't understand the assumptions behind those methods, and so they think, well, this is just an objective way of dating the Earth, and actually it's not. 
the rocks of Mount St. Helens were, were dated by potassium argon dating. It's millions of years old, and yet we have eyewitnesses right. to the actual events that happened there yes. in 1980 when the, when the mountain exploded. Right. So we know that these dates are not accurate. These, these deep time dates, this Darwin dating is not accurate. Right. Well, friends, our guest is David V. Bassett. He is the author of The Scriptural Universe Model. In this volume, the author discusses the pattern of the tabernacle, especially on day one of the creation week. He relates Genesis 1-1 and Job 26-7, very fascinating, to describe the commencement of the Godhead's top-down construction of the universe and the earth during the first three literal days of the creation week. This is a fascinating book. A lot of things that you're going to hear on this program, and if you get the book, you're going to read about it, is a little bit different from a lot of what we've heard, but thoroughly biblical. And of course, David knows what he's talking about. He's had a lot of training. He's done a lot of teaching. You certainly will want the scriptural universe model, 1-800-652-1144. Now, David, as we move on, what is the role of the triune Godhead in the creation, and how is the Godhead reflected in the cosmos that is itself a trinity of trinities, as you explain it? see all members of the Trinity and actually in the first three verses of the Bible. We read about, in the beginning, God, which represents the Father. He's the, in the hierarchy of, of Elohim. There, he represents the will of God. We, we read about the Word of God, the Son, where it says, "In God said, let there be light. This involves the Word of the Son of God. And then, of course, in Genesis 1-2, we read about the Spirit of God moving over the face of the waters. And so the entire divine trinity is intimately involved in the construction of the cosmos from the get-go. The universe actually reflects that triune nature because the universe itself is a trinity of trinities. This is not unique to my book. I first read about this from works from Dr. Henry Morris, Hmm, who started Institute for Creation Research. He pointed out that the universe is a continuum of space, matter, and time. These are the components that make up the cosmos. Space is a trinity of first, second, and third dimensions. The matter is made up of energy, motion, and phenomena. And Hmm. time, of course, is future, present, and past. Hmm. First entity of each of these is invisible. The first dimension is invisible without the second. Energy is invisible without motion. And then the future, of course, is invisible until it's actually experienced in the present. Jesus himself says, No man has ever seen the Father, that the Son who's in the bosom of the Father has declared him. So it's the second entity that actually manifests the first entity, but it takes the third entity in order to experience the first two. And so it's just a remarkable study how the cosmos itself reflects the nature of its creator. Even Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says that by studying the creation, we're to know about God's eternal power and his divine nature is the Godhead structure of the creator himself. I think that's very, very true. I think we see these Trinitarian patterns Let us make man in our image, uh, for example, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, when it says the Lord is one, echad, speaking about a composite unity. There's so many little hints here, there, and everywhere. And then, of course, in the New Testament, it's very clear. I know there are so many 
evangelical Christians who want to compromise on the doctrine of the Trinity. My, I don't think we can, you know, we can have different views of music, you know, what are we going to worship and so forth, but if we lose the truth of the triunity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As you point out, we see it everywhere, and then it's clearly taught. I think this is very, very important. And the way you bring it out, it says to me, you are a man of great doctrinal integrity. And of course, I know that because you've been working with Dr. Baugh, who is also a man of great doctrinal integrity. So this is amazing, very important. So we want to get into this thing about the pattern of the tabernacle. What precisely is the institution of the pattern of the tabernacle on day one of the creation week. This is kind of a fascinating aspect because when I started first started writing the book, I really had no clue as to the relationship between the pattern of the tabernacle and the construction of the cosmos. But so as, as I was beginning to write the introduction, I was asking the Lord, how do you begin creating a universe? And Exodus 25 was basically just dropped into my spirit. I took time to read that, and I saw there was a three-step pattern, a procedure, and God was telling Moses that he wanted Moses to build a tabernacle according to this pattern, after this pattern. Well, God's not only a God of order, he's a God of patterns, Mm. and he's the one who instituted this procedure. The heavenly temple is the true the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, are just images or figures of the true there. And so this pattern actually has, like I said, three steps. First step is assembling the necessary components, gathering the raw materials. This is found in Exodus 25, 1-7, where God wants Moses to arrange a free will offering, have the people just bring what they want to contribute to the building of the tabernacle, so we have to assimilate the necessary components. God does that when he speaks time, matter, and space into existence. Mm-hmm. He's actually assimilating the creation components. And then the second step is assembling a sanctuary, building God a sanctuary, a holy place. And we find this in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. And then the third step is preparing a throne. Most of Exodus 25 is based on this. Exodus 25, 10 through 22, talks about the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat and all the intricate detail of that. We don't find any of that in Genesis chapter 1. And so this was one thing that I was wrestling with. Exodus 20, verse 11, the fourth commandment, says that in six days the Lord made heaven, earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. And I knew that there was such a thing as third heaven. There are angels. There's a spiritual dimension there that's invisible to us in the present time. And yet all that has to be within the six days. But you don't find it anywhere in Genesis chapter 1. And so you have to basically search the scriptures. But you can find the pattern of the tabernacle, as you said earlier, on day one of creation week in Job chapter 26, 7 Mm -hmm. to 10. This is where God stretches out the north over the empty place, he hangs the earth upon nothing. That actually mirrors Genesis 1-1. And then he actually talks about assembling a sanctuary, building third heaven, step by step from the top down, and then preparing his throne. A lot of people think the throne of God is eternal because God is eternal. But Psalm 103, verse 19, talks about God preparing his throne. We actually see that in Job 26. Right. Yeah. Job 26.7, I've been reading the way you related to uh, Genesis 1.1, but 
in uh, Job, it says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So these two scriptures, Genesis 1-1 and this Job passage, they describe the beginning, the commencement of the Godhead's top down from glory down to the earth and ultimately to man. And I think that's what we see here. That's exactly what we see. We actually see in this top-down construction pattern, we see God working his way down to earth step by step, and then we actually see it climaxed with the creation, making, and forming of man. That is fantastic. Like I say, friends, this is a book that will give you, I really believe, it give you some deeper insight into the scriptures into the creative activity of our triune God. It's amazing. Now, how does God's from third heaven to earth construction of creation reveal God's heart, his desire to fellowship with mankind by lovingly providing us a, quote, very good home, as described in Genesis 131? Since God's nature is one of love, Hmm. He wants to share that. John 17, Jesus mentions the deep love that the Father has for the Son, that all members of the Trinity have for one another. But love desires to give, it desires to be shared, and God wanted a family. And so we see that God first prepares the third heaven, his abode, his sanctuary, but he's making his way down to man because he wants to tabernacle with man. Yes. Which is interesting. The book of Revelation talks about that in the next to last chapter of the Bible. God wants to tabernacle with man, and we see that he actually follows the pattern of the tabernacle, which he himself instituted in creating third heaven in order to make his way down to man. And, of course, he's preparing a home for man. We see God meeting the needs before there is even a need. He's supplying everything that's needed beforehand. And then he actually places man in the garden, another thing which he also has prepared for man. And so basically, he tells, them, tells man to be fruitful and multiply because God wants a family. And God wants to be able to share the love that he himself is. Hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for this interview and for your book. We're looking forward to another interview And I think we're going to get even deeper. So God bless you, and thank you so much. I really appreciate the program. Thank you so much, Pastor Larry. Thank you for having me. We'll have more from David Bassett on our next program. The first three literal days of Creation Week were marked by God's sequential and systematic top-down construction of the cosmos. Scripture reveals the blueprint summary of divine activity resulting in a pre-flood universe of five firmaments above an antediluvian earth supercontinent overlying four internal foundations, three heavens separated by two crystalline boundary constructs all over one earth. Well, it all adds up to reveal the SUM, S-U-M, the scriptural universe model a Christian commentary on creation's construction by David Bassett. It's his brand new book, and it gives all the details. Order your copy today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order online, swrc.com. Now, let's turn our attention to the ongoing invisible war on the saints. 
Here's Dr. Greg Patton and Dr. Ken Copley. Well, it's a blessing to come your way again on Southwest Radio Church. I'm Greg Patton, along with Dr. Ken Copley, talking about that invisible war on the saints. And a reminder to all that regardless of whether you realize it or not, we are in a battle and will be to the day that we see Jesus, the enemy, getting relentless in these final days. And several things we want to talk about on the program today. One that comes up oftentimes that I get asked in meetings, and I know Ken has over the past few decades, is this thing of, of demon possession, demonization. But let's take demon possession. Some people say, hey, do you believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed? So I'll throw that one over to you, uh, Ken. Yeah, that is a common common statement and question that I've run into. And the answer is an emphatic, no, a demon cannot possess a Christian. Possession is ownership. The Bible clearly says a born-again believer is purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. We belong to God, and the enemy has no authority to own us ever. That is totally anti-scriptural. Excellent. Again, the other word comes up is uh, demonization. And I know many uh, men and women have addressed this reference to demonic activity. Could you give us a quick idea of what that means? I'll say this guy, I think this guy is demonized over here. What does that mean? If we give ground to the enemy, and the Bible says, be angry and sin not, do not let the sun go down upon your wrath, neither give place or ground or opportunity or an open door to the enemy. If through habitual sin we continue to walk in that pathway as a believer, we can invite the presence of the enemy. Now, they come as a squatter. They have not a legal right to be there except for the ground that we have given to them. And that I've seen over and over again. Matter of fact, I have known or talked to or read over 50 authors and people in warfare and not the off-the-wall kooks, and every one of them will state absolutely a Christian can be inhabited in a way by an enemy still totally, totally owned by God, bought by his blood. Excellent thought, and I think that's so uh, vitally important. Oftentimes, people come and say, hey, I wonder if you could talk to my brother. He's got drug or alcohol problems. And so I start to ask a question, too, like maybe uh, is he a Christian? And oftentimes, I don't think so. Can you work with him? Could you uh, reply to that one, uh, Dr. Copley? First question I ask when someone comes in my office and says they're struggling and they have need of counsel, I will, after building a little rapport, I will ask, have you been born again? If you died right now, are you 100% sure you would go into the arms of Jesus? You know that you've been born again. God has saved you. You're believing only in the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary and trusting only in Christ for your salvation. If the answer is no, and at that point they're not desirous of becoming a believer, I can certainly give them good advice. I can certainly give them some counsel that they're taking some steps in life. If it continue in this direction, they're always going to get this result, what they need to change in their thinking and their attitude. But when it comes to the demonic, I cannot and will not counsel someone who is not a believer. Now, that might sound uh, a bit cruel or unloving, 
Uh, why would you not counsel someone along that line? And could it be that since the Holy Spirit is not there, there's no guard, there's no stopping an enemy? Or am I incorrect in that? You are right on the money. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you cast out a demon and the person does not have the Holy Spirit, he doesn't have that protection of God in his life, then seven more and more wicked than the first can come and you leave the person worse off than you found them and, and counseling. I always desire to leave a person better off than I found them, saved or unsaved. At least I can give them the gospel, give them some direction, and give them some hope. How many years have you been at this, Dr. Copley? I've been doing this for 30. For 30 years. Now, in all of that time, and I suppose, what do you think, thousands of people you've talked with, a council? I would go with thousands, yes. Yeah. I've been around you long enough to know many that you have been with, and I can concur. I always hear you start out asking about the area of salvation. If you get assurance of that, then we move forward on where, according to Ephesians 4.27, ground may have been given to the enemy. And that's an amazing thing because some people believe, and many pastors so nervous about this topic that, hey, once you're saved, you're safe. You aren't going to have any problems. Satan can't bother a Christian. You want to answer that one? Absolutely. We may be safe in the Lord, but sin still gives opportunity to the enemy, and that is very clear in the Scriptures. Being born again and not walking in fellowship with the Lord and not dealing with unconfessed sin, not dealing with ancestral iniquities, can cause us a lot of demonic problems. And sometimes the enemy just hangs around to uh, torment us or harass us. Someone may be having thoughts that are tormenting them and they can't get over them. They need to take a look at their life and see what they're doing that's contrary to the will of God. Much of this is in your book available at Southwest Radio Church, The the Great Deceiver. And there's lots of good stuff in there. I, I know you, you wrote it, so I'm sure you would concur with that. A help for the Christian. The average guy can read this and understand what's going on in the spirit world. Is that correct? That is correct. I give a lot of biblical illustrations, biblical principles, and then it's replete with testimonies from people who have found freedom in Jesus Christ. And every one of those testimonies are documented, the real people have signed off, we can use them. And I have heard a lot of people get help from the book. I can't wait to share once again with Dr. Copley, The Invisible War on the Saints, and his book is available, by the way, at swrc.com, or you can call 1-800-652-1144. I know I speak for Dr. Copley when I say we have an insatiable desire to see you set free. Jesus Christ said he came to heal the brokenhearted and to set the captive free, and every church has someone that's captured. But how do you get out of that thing? That's why we're doing this program. We have a lot of experience and decades of work against the enemy. Spiritual warfare, it's real. The Scriptural Universe Model, a Christian commentary on creation's construction by David Bassett, is a book that gives all the details of God's sequential and systematic top-down construction of the cosmos. Order your copy today, 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. 
or you can order online swrc.com. Tomorrow, David Bassett will share more interesting details on Creations Construction. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. Thank you.